You're not cold and distant. You're not hard and critical. But you want to receive us unto yourself. You want your kids to come home. You want want them by your side. Sometimes we, in our own minds, create you into something that you are not. The truth of your word says, God is love. Thank you. Thank you. I pray that as we draw near to you, Lord, that we would recognize that and we would uh, quit allowing our minds, our flesh to uh, turn you into something that you're not and cause us to run from you in fear. We are to draw near you with intimacy. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a great day it's been already. The Lord just continues to bless. It's been, been awesome all that the Lord does. And uh, last Sunday was amazing. My goodness. Sunday, this last Sunday, we had um, from, from like a show of hands, the best I can calculate, I think we had like eight salvations Sunday from those who raised their hand, those who come forward. And uh, it's amazing. And then sometimes the earlier services don't know what happens in the third service. We had eight baptisms Sunday. Isn't that cool? And uh, it's just been neat seeing what the Lord, we had over a thousand people on this property Sunday. And uh, that's just crazy. So God's good, isn't he? I mean, just... It just keeps getting gooder and gooder. I tell you, it's just been, it's been so cool. Uh, but I've been preaching a series on things you need to know about Jesus. And there are things that you need to know about Jesus. Uh, so it's not enough to believe that he was. It's not enough to believe that he is. There are things that you need to believe about Jesus, and they must be according to the scriptures, not according to what you've heard, according to what you feel but according to the truth of God's word. Amen? Can we all agree with that? Amen. So uh, I know that you probably thought I finished it last week, (laughs) but I didn't. I have one more. It's today. Uh, But let's go over the five again. And I pray that you would remember these things. And and I tried to keep them as easy as I could keep them. What's the Roman numeral for five? It's a V. And so there, there are these five things that are necessary to believe about Jesus uh, because what you believe about him determines whether you're a Christian or you're a cult. That's the truth. Uh, to whether you have truth or heresy is what you believe about it. Now, we at Sand Springs get accused of being a cult sometimes. And uh, there's, there's a few reasons. One of the reasons is because many of us have bald heads and beards. I don't know. <laughs> it just happens to work out that way. People are like, why do you grow a beard? Well, because I can't grow it on my head. I grow it where I can. So uh, <laughs> that, that, I know somebody has said that they want to get some of us who look similar to all sit together and we would look like a carton of eggs. So <laughs> take a picture from the back, get a carton of eggs. But anyway, uh, eggs are valuable these days, so I think that should be a compliment. But uh, one of the reasons that people say, you know, that's a cult is because we have passionate people in this church. And when the Holy Spirit moves, people get passionate. People have a true experience with God, people get passionate. 
one of the greatest fears that I had as a pastor was pastoring passionless people. I, I did not want to do that. So I thank God that I don't have to realize that fear, but I am just praising God that we have people who just are passionate about Christ, passionate about coming in and worshiping, and, and that's a blessing to me. Uh, but back to the point is that what you believe about Jesus will determine whether it's truth or heresy, whether you're Christianity or cult. And so we're going to go over the five V's again, or the four that we've previously preached on. And number one, that there's a virgin birth. Connected to the virgin birth, just remember that the birth was not his beginning. This speaks of the eternality of Jesus. It's not that he was born a man and worked himself into godhood. That's, that's cultism. The truth is that his birth was not his beginning, but that he's eternal. He, when the beginning began, he was already here. And he has no end. So when he says, I'm the first and the last, the book of Revelation, I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, he says, when the first started, I was already here. And when the last ends, I'll still be here. And so just remember, with the virgin birth, what's connected to that is the eternality of Jesus, but also the sinlessness of Jesus, which goes into this virtuous life. He lived a sinless life. He was born of a virgin, not tainted with the sinful blood of man, but of the holy blood of God. He was born. But he lived that life, being tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, the scriptures tell us. And so he lived that virtuous life. Without that, there would be no perfect sacrifice, which is the next point. It's vicarious death. Vicarious means substitute. He died in my place. The death that I should have died, he died for me. The death that you should have died, he died for you. So that now you don't have to fear the judgment of God if you are in Christ Jesus because judgment has already fallen on him. Amen? It's good news. I mean, I'm glad I don't have to fear God. I fear him in respect for who he is, but I'm not afraid of him anymore. Amen? This is what we were talking about and that we can, can draw near to the Lord. That's what he wants from us. We don't have to run from him in fear. We can turn to him in the fear of respect and reverence, knowing that he is almighty God. Amen? Two different words for fear. Now, the last Sunday's message was my favorite. It is the most important doctrine of all scripture, and that is the victorious resurrection. Amen? Amen. It's not just that he died, but that he rose from the grave. Because that resurrection does a couple of things. But one of them, it proves that he is God. Amen? There's men who die for other men, but only one rose from the grave never to die again. Because he is God. Number two, that resurrection is your receipt, <laughs> your proof of purchase that your sins have been taken care of. His coming out of the grave was evidence that your sins were properly paid for, and now you don't have to fear judgment anymore. They're free and clear. Amen? Amen. So now we're down to the fifth one, and I know it's a little bit of a stretch because I had to make another V, <laughs> but it is his very soon return. His very soon return. And so I don't preach on the second coming of Jesus as much as I should. I need to. Because in the New Testament, about one out of every 25 verses is about the, new, the second coming of Jesus. It's vitally important to remember that he is coming again. Amen? It's important to know that. In fact, the scriptures talk twice as much about his second coming as they do his first coming. 
That tells you that it's important. And so I want to look at some scriptures. I want to start in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling a parable, and he is preparing the listeners for his return, essentially, in this parable. He is preparing them for his return. We're going to start in verse 14 in Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And the one he gave five talents. Now, a talent is a, it's a, a portion of money. Now, when I was a little kid growing up in church, I didn't know that. Preacher didn't explain that to me. I just thought a talent was what I was told a talent. So as a little kid, I drew. That was my little talent. And so I thought, oh, I better be using this for Jesus. So I'd sit there in the, wherever they was sitting at that time. And I, at County Line Baptist Church in Walton, Texas. And I drew Brother Ed Hart, my pastor. And uh, I would draw other little things. I want to give my talent to Jesus. And so uh, it's the money though. But that's okay. Use your talents too. Because that's what's been given to you as well. And so let's go back to verse 15. And to one he gave five talents to another two, and another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, Jesus is telling a parable, and a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and a deeper meaning into this parable is that he is giving us something. He is going for a season, but he is returning. And when he returns, he will hold us accountable for what he's given us. And for some that strikes fear in your heart and some that strikes encouragement in your heart. And what you do with what he gives you will determine how you feel about this passage of scripture, doesn't it? So with one, he gives five, with one, two, with one, one. It says each according to their ability. So when he returns, and by the way, the, again, he does return and this is a point that he is coming again. Verse 19 after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, don't you like that word joy? I'm going to preach a sermon series on this soon. I'll just... I think that is a contradiction in term, a joyless Christian. Christian, you have more to be joyful about than anybody on this planet. And so a, 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 a gloomy Christian, somebody just needs to go ahead and slap them in the name of Jesus. Say, you, need to find, you just need to find some joy. And, and here we have Jesus coming back and saying, I'm going to hold them accountable. I'm going, to, I'm going to encourage. He says, good and faithful servant. Good job. That's that well done. Good job. You did great. And, and, and come on into the joy of the Lord. And then here he comes to the two. And he didn't take the one who gave two, who comes back and says, I only now have four. Where he now has 10, I only have four. He doesn't say, well, he's got 10. Oh, you did all right. No, it's the same thing. He says, verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But then he comes and there's the one that, person that he gave one talent to. 
And he goes to that person who he gave one talent to. And what we come to understand through this verse of scripture is that this man had a misconception of who Jesus is. He didn't understand who, because see, this is what happens with people who don't know God's word. You need to get into this book. You need to know this word. People who don't know this word base their, their, their knowledge of God on what their mind tells them or what their heart tells them, their emotions tell them. And, and just like Adam and Eve, they run from him in fear. But the scriptures tell us exactly who he is. And so I want to look at this because this is, this is uh, enlightening. Verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. He has concocted this view of the Lord as one who is hard. Jesus says he is going to hold him accountable for his own words. So let's look at it. Um, by the way, this is in, uh, in other passages of scriptures. And so let's read verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. I think it's in, it's in Luke. I know that it's in Luke. As this parable is taught in Luke, he actually pulls out that and says, I will hold you, I will judge you by your own words. I will judge you by your own words. Not of who I truly am, but who you think I am, you still didn't even obey me by what you thought I would do. Just think about that. I know religious people who think that God is hard and harsh and who is a critical, uh, uh, judgmental God who, is, who will be stern and, 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 and they think him this way. He's not, but they think him this way and yet still they do nothing for the Lord. Think about it. If you thought God would punish you for your lack of activity, do you think you would be active? Well, then they're not even living up to their own beliefs of who he, who he is, who they think he is. And so this is what is going on this, with this guy. He says, I know that you're tough. And so I hid it. I hid it away. Now, there's a whole lot packed into this parable, but here's the truth of God's word. God has given every one of us the knowledge of who he is. John chapter one, he gives light into the, uh, to everyone who's entered into this world. He has given us knowledge. Romans chapter one says, man is without excuse because nature itself gives testimony that there is a God. There is something with inside man that gives testimony that there is a God. And so everyone has a knowledge that there is God. Some suppress that knowledge, the scriptures tell us, but everyone has this knowledge. And so here is this knowledge of salvation given to this man, and yet he did nothing with it. This is a picture of someone who has come to understand the gospel message, that you were born a sinner, that Jesus died for your sins, and yet with that knowledge, they don't do anything with it. They don't do anything with it. They hide it away. It's like, mm, yeah, I've heard the gospel. I've been to church on Christmas and Easter. Had that knowledge away. Now I want you to look at what it says, verse 26. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would receive back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he will have 
he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is alarming, isn't it? It's alarming that, that Jesus is returning. If you haven't responded to this message of salvation, it should alarm you the fact that Jesus is returning. And that is very soon. The very soon return. And this is why I said, where you stand in your faith determines how you feel about these passages of scripture. Now let me explain real quick kind of how this works with the Lord. The Lord shines light, and this is what we'd call truth or knowledge, knowledge of the truth. When you step into the light that he has given you, he gives you more light. Amen. I don't expect a, a, a seven-year-old Christian to know everything that a 50-year-old veteran of the faith knows. Unfortunately, sometimes a seven-year-old brand-new baby Christian has a closer relationship with God than some who have been Christians for 50 years. And that's sad. And just know that he, that person will be held accountable. But when, when God shines, illuminates truth to us, if we step into it, he gives more light. Well, if we don't step into it, then we're still responsible for the truth that he gave us. And even that truth that he gave us, we may lose it. We, we, we may, you know, we, we hide it away. That knowledge of the truth of salvation says that we come to a point in time where we don't even remember that anymore. I've, I've, I've so pushed that away from me that I don't even have that anymore. That's a dangerous place to be. And so Jesus gives this parable, but what's the point of the parable? The point of the parable is that he is returning to call to account everyone who has given something to. Has anybody in here received anything from the Lord whatsoever? Can we not all say, me, me, me? He's blessed me with more than I can even give thanks for. Well, what are you doing with it? Are you using it for kingdom purposes? Whether it be knowledge, whether it be resources, whether it be experiences, what are you doing with what God has given you? And, and if you're using that for kingdom purposes, then guess what? You're going to hear one of these days, good job. Good job. Welcome into the joy of the Lord. Well, not everybody's going to hear that, but uh, I hope that you will. Acts chapter one, in Acts chapter one, verse four, uh, we see Jesus has now uh, been crucified. He has risen from the grave. He has appeared before many, and, and, and now he is talking to his disciples um, before his ascension. Start with me in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. A good Bible study would be look up that word promise, especially where capitalized, because this is referring to a person. That's why it's capitalized. And we're about to see who that person is. He says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with, with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen? That's the promise of God. It's not just God for us, as was in the Old Testament. It's not just God with us, Emmanuel, as it was in the Gospels. Now, in Acts forward, it is God in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So for John truly baptized with water, you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were confused. They were always confused. They were constantly waiting for him to whoop the Romans and rescue Israel. He's like, it's a different kingdom. 
So in verse 7, he says, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. I think he's just given up. He's like, these boys are dense. They're not going to get it. Maybe the Holy Spirit will bring this knowledge to them when he comes. I'm just going to ignore their question altogether. So he just says, uh, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Amen? I hope that you have. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things... While they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. Wouldn't that have been cool? Man, I'd like been hanging out that day. <laughs> Man, that'd been something to see. There you go. And verse 11, and also, uh, verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, these being angels, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So he said, we don't know when he's returning, but we know how he's returning. He's going to descend out of the clouds coming back to earth. And so we know... We, we ought to all kind of be looking skyward, shouldn't we? That this very soon return of Christ. So we're told how he's going to return. And then in the book of Revelation, he himself tells us in Revelation chapter 1, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I was, I am, and I am the one who is to come. Who is to come. So I want to look in Revelation 21, or 22, I'm sorry, 22, and remember, what's the fifth V? Very soon return. Because chapter 22, verse 7, behold, I am coming quickly. Amen? Chapter 22, verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. That's what he said in the parable. I'm coming quickly, and I'm, my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. So how you feel about his return is based on what you did with what he gave you. If we say that Jesus is coming back tomorrow and that stirs fear in you, then you know that you've not done everything that you should have with what he gave you. But if you know that you have been serving the Lord and that you got a reward coming, and I say, hey, Jesus is coming tomorrow. Woo. Now, I can't say that, by the way. And you better be leery of any minister who says they know when he's coming. You better put that in check. But how you feel determines, is determined by what you've done with what he gave you. And so let me go over it again. Chapter 22, verse 7, behold, I'm coming quickly. Chapter 22, verse 12, behold, I'm coming quickly. Chapter 22, verse 20, he who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. This is the next to the last verse in all the Bible. Let's just read the last two verses of the Bible. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Close the book. End of story. What was the last thing he told us? I'm coming real quick. Coming quickly. Well... It's been 2,000 years since he said that. <laughs> His version of I'm coming quick is like my wife's version of I'm 
And I feel like the guy at Walmart sitting on the bench. <laughs> Say, Lord, your timetable's different than mine. Your, <laughs> it's been 2,000 years. Your version of um, quick is different than mine. But look in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. I love this because it's like um, those who already had this question, he already has the answer for. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers, check this out, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So 2,000 years ago, he said, some people are going to get a little impatient and say, we ain't seen him yet. And they're going to start poking fun at Christians and like, oh, you're one of those that, that think that Jesus is coming back. Oh, I sure am. I sure am. And I think he's coming back quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Very soon. But there's two kind of, you know, when it comes to this business of quickly, two ways to look at that. It may be that on the calendar, he's coming back soon. But we know from the scriptures that when he comes back quickly, it also means that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that he's going to return and you don't have another second to make a decision. You don't have a second chance. Once he returns, all decisions are done. And so this should give us an urgency. If you are continuing to think about and you know the truth of the gospel and you continue to just hide that away, it ought to bring an urgency of, no, I'm bringing it to the forefront of my mind. I'm going to respond to the light that he has given me because when he comes, it's going to be so sudden. I don't have time to say, wait, Lord, wait a second. I've been planning on doing this. I'm going to do it. No, boop, dump, sorry, too late. It's coming quickly. And so I want to go back to this verse three, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But look at verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is telling us the heart of the Father. He says the heart of the Father is he don't want anyone to be lost. He don't want anyone to be lost. And, and, and you who have family members can know exactly how this feels. Maybe you have children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews that they don't know the Lord. And you're asking that he just, he just linger a little bit longer. I don't want you to return just yet, Lord, because they're not saved yet. And if you come right now, they'll die and go to hell. And so can, can you grasp the heart of the Father? And he says, oh, I'm coming, but I want every one of you to be saved. I want every one of you with, in my presence in heaven. I want every one of you to go on to glory. Chapter, verse four, uh, chapter 14, 
uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, and I think that's the point. Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Have you got peace? When I say that he is coming quickly, and in a moment, a twinkle of eye, all of a sudden one is standing there and one's taken and the other's left. You don't have a time for say, oh, wait, wait, wait. Nope, coming quickly. Are you at peace with that? If not, let's get there today. Let's get there today. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's, man, I'm blown away with how patient God is with me. I mean, I am blown, he, I'm telling you, I still ain't got it together. Those of you who do, can y'all come counsel me? I need some help. I still don't have it all together. But he's so patient. He's so loving. Even when I just totally blow it, he continues to show me mercy. So I want to look at verse 16. As also in the epistles, speaking in them of these things, which were, oh, let me back up. Let's go back to verse 15. And considering that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, and also our beloved brother Paul, this is funny to me, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, and also in all of his epistles, in speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to understand. Oh, Peter, talking about his buddy Paul. He's like, yeah, he can be a little confusing sometimes. <laughs> He wrote a whole lot of stuff, and I'm just scratching my noggin on some of these things. No, what is he saying? This business of the second coming, Paul and every one of his letters wrote about it. This is what Peter's saying. And it might be a little difficult to understand, but continue to look forward to the second coming of Christ. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest any of you should fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Peter's saying, now that you have this knowledge, use it. Use it. Don't hide it away like the man with the one talent. Use it. Put it into practice. I want to also look, just remember that passage of scripture that we just looked at about the Lord's not uh, slack and is coming, that, that he's, he's waiting for those to be saved. Now look in, in uh, James chapter five, verse seven. Therefore, be patient. Be patient. He said, he's, he's coming. Be patient. Therefore, be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This was James 2,000 years ago. So any day now, any day. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know I'm closer today than I was yesterday. Yeah. You know? And as I look at things going on in this world, I'm thinking, it's very soon. And by the way, I know that we want to judge things with our American minds of what goes on in our country. You can't do that. 
you need to look to Israel. And when you look at how things are lining up in Israel, Jesus could be coming back very soon. Very soon. I may be over when he does. <laughs> if it's in May, I'll be there. So, hey, therefore be patient till the coming of the Lord. And then he uses this reference to a farmer watching over his crops. And, and, and what farmer, when the plant is, you know, a month in and is growing pretty good and maybe start to see some, some, some blossoms come on, just comes and mows it down. No, farmers don't do that. They're waiting. They're waiting. And our God is seeing some people that they show potential. Oh, he, and he, in his infinite knowledge, knows. He says, oh, I've I, I got to hold off. Because old Jim Bob, he's, he's close. He's close. I got it. Sister Sarah, she's close. I got to hold off for a little bit longer because I'm not going to come in and rush the harvest because they're close. Verse 8, you are also, you also be patient. And the, you, look at this word, establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I don't know how it was in y'all's childhood, but uh, in my childhood, I'm, I might have got into a little bit of trouble every now and then. <laughs> and if I was outside or maybe that's in my bedroom and, and, and mama heard something going on in that bedroom and that door just comes open. She ain't got to say nothing. <laughs> I know, I know. Or, or, or me and my buddy be out there in the yard cutting up and uh, blowing things up. Uh, we were good at that. We blew stuff up. And, and, and just come to the door. Like, uh-oh, I went a little too far. <laughs> so how, how you feel about God when 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 you read these verses of scripture, kind of lets you know what you've been up to. And in this passage of scripture, he's warning against Christian brothers and sisters, yeah, yeah, and one another. Do not grumble against one another. And that, this is the last thing he said. He said, I'm coming soon. Y'all better cut that mess out. What churches are doing with one another? What's going on inside of churches? I'm coming real quick and I'm gonna hold you accountable for it. There are churches that are being run by individuals who I don't know if they got heaven in their heart or hell. And churches are being split and garbage is going on. And the Lord says, I'm coming to hold y'all accountable for that. Christian brothers and sisters, be careful how you treat one another. You know, when I, I have two sons and what would get them in trouble more than anything would be how they treat their, their mama, number one, but each other, number two. And it would grieve my heart when they didn't, when they didn't like each other because I knew they loved each other. But it grieved my heart when they didn't like each other, when they treated each other poorly. It grieved my heart. But man, it so blessed the daddy's heart when they enjoyed one another. And don't you know our Heavenly Father is the same way? He's watching how we treat one another. He said, don't be grumbling about each other. You just get ready. I'm coming. And, 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 and see that with anticipation. See that with joy. So let's wrap it up with this. this, this should, there should be three things that we need to take from this. 
And that is, if you are still seeking the Lord, this should give an urgency for those who seek him. An urgency. Don't hide this knowledge away, this truth away. Don't hide this understanding of the gospel away, that you were born a sinner, and that you can't save yourself, you need a savior, and that Jesus died for your sins, rose from the grave to give you salvation. That's the gospel. Don't hide that knowledge away. It should give an urgency of, I need to respond to this gospel message. Urgency. It should give purpose for those who are serving. Remember why he said he delays his coming? Because he wants more people to get saved. I, I, I shared with you a little bit of what happened last Sunday, but I'm gonna promise you, I am way more excited about the eight people that got saved than the thousand people that showed up. Amen. Amen. It's caused us to live with purpose. We're not here to grow a church. We're here to grow his kingdom. We're here to see people get saved. And so it, it, it gives urgency for those who are seeking. It gives purpose for those who are serving. But it also gives encouragement for those who are struggling. There are a lot of people in this world are struggling. They're just struggling in life. They're struggling with, with, with living in a sin-sick world having soul issues, having whatever, just struggling. And so many times the second coming is preached and taught in the scriptures as encouragement to those who are struggling in this life. And when it gives us that, that picture of Jesus, like, like standing like, I'm fixing to come down there. <laughs> I'm finna come, I'm coming down there. Now I know in our minds it's like, oh, I'm finna get a whooping. But that's not what he's saying. He's looking over humanity, he's like, I love humanity so much. I'm I, I hate seeing them hurt. I hate seeing what's being done to the people that I love so much. And he's just waiting for the father to say, Go get them. Go get them. He's coming soon, and he's coming quickly. And so it ought to give an urgency for those who have been hiding this knowledge away that today you need to get saved. Today you need to get saved. Because if he shows up today, you don't have a second chance. It's done. And it ought to give a purpose for those who are in Christ Jesus who are serving as, here's my purpose. I want to see more people in Christ Jesus. However God has gifted you, to each one was given a talent according to their ability. However he's gifted you, you use it for his kingdom purposes. Amen. Well, whatever that is, whatever that is. And then finally, man, don't you just get tired sometimes in this sin sick world? You don't know what I'm talking about. Turn on the news. It's like, Lord, how soon? Even so, come quickly. And at the same time, but they're lost. See that struggle? Don't you know God has those emotional struggles of, oh, I want them, I want them to come to the knowledge of salvation. I want them to come to, to into the family, but I'm ready to just bring them all home. The only way you're getting in. See, Jesus told his disciples, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again so that where I am, there you may be also. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But where I go, the place you know and the way you know. And the disciples said, well, we don't know. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Come to Jesus. Whatever you are in those three today, 
come to Jesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to have communion together. You don't have to stand. If you want to sit and have communion, you can do that as well. But whatever, whatever posture you would like to take. But every week, I try and bring a new facet of truth to the knowledge of communion. When Jesus gave his disciples this last supper, he told them this. He said, I won't take of this supper again with you until I am taking it with you in glory in heaven. And so today as we take communion, this is an appetizer. <laughs> this is an appetizer. This is a reminder. This helps us to, to gear our thinking of he's coming soon. And I'm looking forward to his coming because when he comes and comes and gets me, we are going to have a party. It's called the, the, the wedding reception. It's, the, it's the, the bride's, the feast of the bride. And it's also in Revelation 20. He's bringing his bride home for a wedding reception like none other. And Jesus said, I'm going to have this reception. We're going to feast. Amen. I, I believe it's going to be steak, but I'm not sure. We're going to feast. But this is an appetizer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave yourself. Isaiah 53, by your stripes we're healed. As you gave yourself for us, there's healing in that. And we know of people being healed through communion as they remind themselves that through you, Lord Jesus, we have healing. So Lord, we look to you today in faith for whatever need we have currently, but also we look to you in faith and that one of these days we're gonna have a, a wedding feast and it's going to be glorious. Lord, thank you that you made the way yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And in that wedding feast, the wine will flow. But the original, the new covenant, the way was made through the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this sampler here on earth of what we will receive and a glorious time in heaven. Lord, we're looking forward to that day. What a day it will be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.